This podcast is brought to you by Electric Power Systems. EPS is a leading provider of high-power, scalable powertrains that are certifiable for electrified aviation. It develops energy storage systems, DC fast charging stations, and electric propulsion products for aerospace, defense, automotive, marine, and industrial traction industries. Good afternoon, everybody, to the Aviation Renaissance with Spencer and Spencer. Today we have an awesome guest. She has started with us fairly recently. She's in the systems engineering department. She's a lady of space, a lady of many talents, Celeste. Celeste, take it. The floor is yours. Oh, okay. You just want me to start rambling? Yep, start rambling. Start rambling. Please do. Well, let's see. Um... I grew up watching the original Star Trek series, so I always dreamed of going to space. I saw the Apollo missions, and oh, wow. um, I thought, wow, that'd be really cool. Um, and I did really well in math and science in high school, so uh, someone told me about a university called MIT in <laughs> Massachusetts. I said, oh, that sounds cool. I think I may have heard of I that. Know. Yeah. It's probably not as good as USU, but... <laughs> 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 anyway, no... Um, so I applied, I got in, I went there. It was awesome. I loved MIT, they were wonderful. Um, I went straight into the Aerostro department and um, did undergraduate research on fracture mechanics of composite materials. Um, and then I applied and got in to graduate school and stayed for my master's degree. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, got my master's degree in space systems. They had just opened a systems engineering uh, department or lab called the Space Systems Lab. And um, anyway, after that, worked a, a variety of places. I spent 24 years at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, originally doing finite element modeling and analysis, and then uh, managed to get into the system engineering division finally, and um, spent 15 years in the systems engineering division, mostly uh, on... JPL's concurrent engineering design team, Team X. So um, I was a lead system engineer on that and occasionally got to diversify a little bit and sit in on the planning, scheduling, uh, costing, risk assessment uh, chairs as well. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. Led a lot of proposal efforts. Um, a lot of them went through Team X as well. Um, Let's see, what else can I tell you? Okay, a uh, couple other jobs between there and here. Uh, one of them for another battery systems company called Qualion, which was bought out by Enersys. Just FYI, I was brought in to, can I say this, help? Sure. I was brought in to help rescue a, a product in trouble. I'll just say that. Oh, and we sure. Su we succeeded in rescuing it. Well, that's kind of what the goal of EPS is, is to to bring all the brilliant minds around to help mm -hmm. fix problems and get us all pointed in the right direction and mm -hmm. get us all on the same page. And that's why they brought you on and you did it. Okay. Um, about me personally, I guess. Uh, I have one son. He's he's about to turn 23, so I'm going to go back and visit him in another week. Um, his interest growing up, his whole life was paleo art, but I think he's being lured to the dark side of the... Uh, 
film industry now, and cinematography has kind of caught his attention. Oh, good pun. <laughs> I like that. I have never heard of paleo art yeah. before. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. He grew up drawing pictures of dinosaurs, and I would take him to the Natural History Museum, and he would sit there in a chair and sketch all the bones. You know, they had the skeletons mm-hmm. of the dinosaurs, and then he would add muscles and eyes and skin and scales and feathers and claws and you name it and bring them to life and little kids would cluster around him watching him do this it was really cool so but now he's in the film or he wants well, to he's head still, that way he's still in in college uh, but he's kind of leaning toward the cinematography now but we'll see you can combine those i guess sure but you can find anything at this point yeah so would you say, so it sounds like since as far as you can remember, space mm-hmm. has been what's really been interesting yeah. to you. Yep. Was it, was it any mission specifically, like you mentioned the Apollo missions, mm-hmm. or was it just as, as far as when you saw a spaceship, you thought, that's it, that's my future? Hmm. Well, I always was interested in aircraft and flight. I wanted to be a pilot. But then I thought, well, wait a minute, why can't I be an astronaut? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Unfortunately, my, my vision wasn't good enough to apply to the astronaut corps. Um, so I just stayed an aerospace engineer. But got to work on a lot of cool science and uh, like science missions, including like Earth observation and astrophysics missions for NASA and things. If you can talk about it mm-hmm. from the time that you spent at NASA, what was the coolest program that you worked on while you were there? Ooh, there were a lot of cool ones, um, but I got to be the, the technical lead on an early phase of the Prometheus program. Okay, oh my god. Where they, NASA had already developed a concept for nuclear electric propulsion, and um, I was leading the team. It was a multi-agency, uh, multi-NASA center team that was investigating um, applications of that propulsion system to a Neptune, Saturn, Saturn Titan, and Neptune Triton. I hope I got those moons right. <laughs> kind of in the right order mission. So that was pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Did you have any exposure to lithium ion batteries and that kind of stuff from your time at NASA? Uh, not much while I was at NASA, but at Qualion. Yeah. Okay. So. So coming over to electric power systems, you had knowledge and, and things of... Just a little bit, primarily because I was only working on a cell there. I wasn't working on the whole battery system, which okay. includes the electronics and everything. Um, I'm not really good at avionics, so I'm, I'm having to learn to speak um, EE. Um, okay. So why EPS then? What, what brought you... It was kind of a fluke. Um, <laughs> can I go ahead? I love, yeah, I love, yeah, I love no. flukes. No, how about that's, it? That's mostly okay. life. So yeah, don't feel bad. All right, I, I was applying around to other aerospace organizations in Colorado and Washington State and Texas, and and there was this recruiter on LinkedIn named Christy. Can I Christy. Say, oh yeah, say Christy. Her last name? The, the wonderful Christy. <laughs> wonderful Christy. And, yep. and she kept bugging me. You should get pestering me and say, well, the folks at EPS would really like to talk to you. And, and I said, you know, finally, I, I said to myself, I thought, well, if they're that desperate, <laughs> let me go. I'll, go. I'll go talk to them. Maybe I can help them out part-time or, or something while I continue to look 
for another job. But when I interviewed, the people I interviewed with, am I allowed to say any names? Of course, yes. There, just, everybody is going to be we on We mentioned there. a lot of people. For I'll yes. just say first names. That's fine. Yeah. I interviewed with Karsten, Mike, and um, David. And I was just so impressed with them that I, I went home and I literally had to sleep on it and think about it. And um, well, they invited me back for a second interview. And, and when they made me an offer, I kind of decided, you know what? It'd be really awesome to work with this team. It's just an amazing team at EPS. The people are fantastic. They're brilliant. They're, they're nice. They're fun to work with. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about them. Did you have to move up here to Logan? Did you have to relocate? No, I was already in Logan, North Logan. Oh. And so that was that was kind of part of the deciding factor. Is I was like, do I keep looking for another job in aerospace or do I take a chance and work with this awesome team? And um, even if it's not aerospace, but uh, you know, I thought, well, let's give it a try. You know, I don't, wouldn't have to sell my house. I don't have to move. Let's go for it. And when I got there, the very first day I arrived, I learned I was going to be working on a space project. <laughs> ah, they swindled you to get you in. I wish they had told me that ahead of time. I wouldn't have had to. There would have been no hesitation. Been any hesitation. Yeah. So, so places previously you lived. So how long have you been in North Logan now? Um, going on two years. So yeah. a very recent resident yes. for Cash Valley Eyes. Uh -huh. You've, so for NASA, where were you for them primarily? Um, primarily in California, Pasadena area, okay. Pasadena, Southern California. But I moved around a lot. Um, I'm a, a Navy brat, as oh. people are aware. Um, my dad was in the Navy, and we traveled all over the place. We lived in Hawaii for three and a half years on oh, Oahu, so near Honolulu. And this was back before it became overdeveloped and everything. It was still beautiful and pristine. Lots of pineapple plantations and beautiful mm -hmm. beaches. And um, mostly grew up in Northern Virginia. My parents actually met in the Pentagon. <laughs> my mom was a secretary there, my dad was in the Navy. And um, mostly grew up in Northern Virginia, traveled around the country a lot because my dad had family in Illinois. Okay. And, um, wow. and then, Spencer was a Navy brat. Were you too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so awesome. I, I lived in San Diego most of my uh -huh. life, but I did get stationed on Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Ooh. Uh, right, right before 9-11. So it was right before they, they reopened the camps. But yeah, and I actually love Northern Virginia, NOVA, yeah. as they call it. Yeah. So, so I, you went to MIT, your parents worked in the Pentagon. Sounds yeah. like, uh, I don't know if I'm intelligent enough to speak to <laughs> I definitely am not. I don't know if I should be in this room. I'm not on par for this conversation. <laughs> but I'll try to fumble my way through it. Yeah. And then um, lived in Massachusetts for a few years, obviously. Lived in California for far too long. <laughs> but so what do you think of uh, Logan, Utah? I really like it. I really like what it. What do you like about it here? Gosh. I I don't want to get controversial, but I, I do prefer the politics in Utah to the politics okay. in California by a long Sure. Um, I'm a, should I say this, staunch Second Amendment supporter, and um, Utah is a little more in line with my personal... Yeah. Plus, it's beautiful it here. It is gorgeous <laughs> here. The winters are a little cold. But they, they are. They don't bother me as much as I thought. I mean, I lived in Massachusetts for a few years. So I've got some experience with that. And my doggie likes the snow. 
That's that was one of my concerns. Is I found him as a stray in California three years ago, and uh, I was afraid that he would have a problem with the snow. But he really he loves it. <laughs> so Celeste worked for NASA for a very long time. Mm -hmm. She graduated from that little-known college, MIT. Um, now she is a systems engineer at EPS, but I happen to know some inside information. Ooh, here we go. Just because of conversations <laughs> between ah, Celeste and I. Okay. But Celeste also loves bugs and reptiles. Yes. <laughs> She's also an accomplished shooter, firearms. Oh, right. She's also an accomplished martial artist as well. <laughs> wow. So it's more than just brains with Celeste, too. So we're going to reel this in. Okay. I don't even know where to start with this conversation, <laughs> oh, okay. but let's start with the why the bugs and the reptiles. Um, I think it was probably because of my dad. He was quite the naturalist. Mm -hmm. He was the kind of person, if we were driving down the highway and he saw a turtle or a dead animal on the side, like a dead possum, he mm -hmm. would stop and make sure there weren't any babies in the possum's pouch and, and rescue them. Or if the turtle was trying to cross the road, he would carry it across so it wouldn't get scrunched. And he was constantly bringing home orphaned animals, um, raccoons, squirrels, that kind of stuff. Um, he, tried, <laughs> he tried to have a couple of baby alligators when I was about six, and one of them almost bit off his thumb, so my mom made him get rid of them. <laughs> but um, in high school, my, brother, my, my mother caved in and let my brother buy a garter snake. And uh, it turns out one of his buddies had bought one also, but hadn't told his mother to be keeping it in his top dresser drawer, and she found it. So she made him get rid of that right away to give it to my brother. And I, so he had two garter snakes, and I ended up taking care of them, cleaning the cage and getting their food and all that stuff. I used to go out and find earthworms for them. They love earthworms, but you got to give them calcium, too. Earthworms don't have enough calcium. Um, she knows so much. She does. <laughs> but, uh, so I'd give them minnows and goldfish and stuff. Um, but I took them with me to college and then oh what happened how did I get these anoles I think they belonged to my boyfriend or something and I wound up taking care of some anoles they're little green lizards that change color from Florida um, it kind of snowballed from there at one point I had like a whole room full of reptiles and then yeah <laughs> so we've had conversations about this I've I, yeah. yeah it's it's um Nice to find another person that's very um, into herpetology and that kind of thing. Because yeah. her and I could sit here and have a conversation, and you would think that we were speaking Greek. That's probably. <laughs> well, she just dropped some, like, she's dropped some names I didn't know. So. Right. If you, if you go on Wikipedia and look up Kurushio Zebrata, because I used to breed them, you'll, mm -hmm. you'll see my name at the very bottom and some of the references. But yeah. Wow, Celeste made it to Wikipedia. Yep. You know, I. <laughs> That's but only for reptiles. Yeah, <laughs> only for reptiles. <laughs> well, yeah, let's not say space, right? Which is a whole other thing that once you came on board, you really helped UPS understand our, our space programs. Mm -hmm. And uh, exciting things continue to happen that uh, in my department, we're, mm -hmm. we're still looking into that industry. So exciting things there with space. But now I'm going to go back and mm -hmm. martial arts. Okay. Are you, are you wanting to... Uh, you know, just defend yourself, or is it to you know, punish your son if he doesn't <laughs> oh, put his dishes no. away? No, in the, fact... the martial arts, yeah, what, what is that about? Okay, well, originally, I think it was probably just motivated by 
wanting to be able to protect myself. Mm -hmm. I took some judo in college. I was okay at that. I tried to take Aikido after I graduated, and I was horrible at it. I'm one of those kids who was always the last one picked for sports teams because I'm so physically uncoordinated. Um, and let's see. I met someone who took me to a seminar for this particular martial art that I study. Mm. And I was mesmerized. I was just captivated. And I kept pestering the instructor, you know, can I, can I come out and train with you and and he kept putting me off and putting me off and finally he opened a, a dojo and I started training with him and I, that was in January 1991 and I was so bad at it I got I used to go into another room and take a an engineering mathematics text with me and sit there reading <laughs> so I wouldn't feel so worthless <laughs> because I was so bad at the martial arts. But after six months, I guess I got discouraged and I quit. And then about a year and a half later, I, I said, you know what, you can't just quit something because you're not good at it. you got to go back and work at it. And so I had to find another instructor at that point because my original instructor had moved, moved to Kentucky or something. And I found another instructor and started training again in February of 1993, and I've kept at it ever since. I mean, obviously COVID put a little damper on it for the last two years, but um, yeah. And, mm. and okay, here's how bad I am. <laughs> um, Good transition. <laughs> uh, most people in my art, it takes about three years for them to get their black belt. It took me 10 years. But I got it. You got it. And then that's what matters. I got my third degree, and then I got my fourth degree. And then, unfortunately, the economy tanked, and I wasn't able to afford to go to Japan to get my fifth done. Um, and now I'm, I'm not. I'm a little rusty. I'm not up to speed like I was then. That was 2010. Mm -hmm. um, I don't believe a word she says. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that she struggled at it. I think it took you 10 years because you wanted to know every single intricate detail about it. And I think you're just being very humble right now. No, but the good thing is I, it's in my muscle memory. Yes. Um, because it, I was not good at understanding it or perceiving it um, naturally, it just doing it over and over and over again, it got ingrained in my muscle memory. Yes. So I don't have to think about it. it Celeste is. and I have a lot of things in common as far as reptiles and martial arts and yeah. shooting. I was <laughs> in the military and, and that kind of stuff. So, But Celeste and I could not look any more different than we tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, won't, I won't oppose that opinion. But <laughs> So, so, okay, you martial arts, bugs and reptiles, and MIT. That might be the title of this episode. I think so. But uh, so taking all this experience, and I think some of the most brightest, uh, you know, industry-changing people have very different interests. Uh, you know, you read about different uh, people like Darwin, right, who mm -hmm. studied a lot of different, very different, uh, you could say, topics and, and species and whatnot. So... We're talking about space and space batteries. What has been like the biggest challenge you've seen with lithium ion and aerospace and, and space? 
and what are we doing or what can we do to kind of improve on that? Well, the, the cells themselves, the lithium ion cells, are quite radiation tolerant. Mm. Uh, the challenges, am I allowed to say this? Yes, yeah. yes okay. you can. Yep. I think this is pretty well known in the industry. It is. It's not anything secret mm. or proprietary. Um, the challenges are in the battery management electronics uh, because those have to be able to deal with the space radiation environment. And we have uh, ionizing radiation, which is primarily electrons. We've got displacement damage from protons and neutrons. We've got, <clears throat> excuse me, um, uh, single event effects like latch up and upsets and all kinds of damage from uh, galactic cosmic rays, which are primarily uh, atomic nuclei that have been stripped of their electrons. And they're all moving at you know, light speed. I'm exaggerating, but they are moving really, really, really fast. And they just punch through your electronics and cause all kinds of havoc with the, um, especially small semiconductor devices. We had a, a build last year, year before, um, I got to work with Joe James on mm. for space applications. So doing that build, mm. as opposed to some of the aerospace builds that we've done, the, the testing involved that we did on that one was much more rigorous and it was in vacuum chambers and all different kinds of testing. But that's why we bring people like Celeste to work there is because she knows it. Okay. Yeah, I, and I think when, when I've spoken to uh, specifically Joe, as we've talked with customers about space programs, when he when he just casually brought that up, it it just doesn't really cross your brain that, you know, you, you just experience using a battery your whole life. You you don't really think that if you took that out of the environment of the earth, right, out of this mm -hmm. atmosphere, that it should act yeah. that different, right? That you would have to be concerned about, well, there's not gravity and so you're not going to be able to get electricity from here to here, or it's not going to be stable. It, I just thought, I never, I never thought a battery would just work in space like it does <laughs> on the ground. So uh, the fact that you actually understand the science behind it is just blowing me away right yeah. now. There are a bunch of other effects too, like um, on-orbit charging, charge accumulation, because in the, the Van Allen belts, we have a lot of ions and they can accumulate on non-conductive surfaces if you aren't careful to allow a pathway for them to bleed off. And this is different from grounding mm -hmm. because if you have large non-conducting areas, you get like a static charge, just like you do if you're shuffling across a rug or something. So you have to make sure that you avoid that. Um, we also have uh, in low Earth orbit a really nasty micrometeoroid and orbital debris environment, which I'm very concerned about. <laughs> Hopefully we won't be lingering there very long, but we'll see. Wow. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. Yes, Celeste. me too. Speechless. I, there's just so many things that, that the average person that doesn't spend time gaining as much knowledge mm -hmm. that you have would even think about. And I'm thankful that there are people like you to yeah. think about that because, I mean, if we didn't have those programs, we wouldn't have our internet, we wouldn't have satellite communication oh, our world around us mm -hmm. would crumble yeah. and it's good that people like you understand how to navigate that asteroid minefield <laughs> <laughs> or at least know what to be worried about <laughs> 
So I think this is a good question. So you've been at EPS for about four or five months now, four four, four months, and you had the 24 years at NASA. You have Mm -hmm. the great education. So let's talk about young engineers right Mm -hmm. now who are trying to navigate the space of just the vast tech industry, specifically for any types of engineers, not just system, um, but across the board, the EE, the mechanical. uh, And and a lot of them are, dare I say, overwhelmed Mm -hmm. with what to choose. If you could go back to young Celeste, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, what, five years ago? You know, you were 27, <laughs> five years ago. <laughs> sure. If you could go back to young Celeste, what advice would you have mm-hmm. to her uh, after experiencing your, your really uh, great career? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the first advice, and this is what I would tell my son if he would listen to me at his age. <laughs> <laughs> he won't, but he won't, that's, but that's be is, is do what you love. Do what you love. Um, and for young people in the engineering field, or if they're interested in engineering, I say try it out. If you don't like it, you can go do something else. You're not locked into it. And one of the great ways to try out engineering is internships. You know, summer internships. I had so many interns at JPL, you know, and, and some of them are still there and doing really fantastic things. Um, so, I don't know. Does that answer? That's great. No, that's great. But I think you just said. Uh, do what you love and try things out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you could be more direct than that. Yeah. Some people would say doing what you love on a regular basis or, or for your living will make you not love it anymore, but I don't think that is the case with you at all. No, <laughs> no not at all. Not in the slightest. Uh-huh. So what, uh, what do you see as the future of EPS? Oh, wow. Well, obviously they're charge full speed ahead on the, the aircraft, um, electric power systems for- On our epic lines. Aircraft and stuff. Uh, I'm hoping they continue to do more space work and that may depend on how good a job we do on this current project, but we're gonna do the best we can. Do you hear that everybody? Celeste wants more space. <laughs> she wants, Celeste <laughs> wants space. Well, there there's definitely things in the pipeline that there's been a big advancement for space. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right, as long as, you know, EPS continues to execute, I don't see people wanting to go away from exploring space because there's a lot that we have not seen in space. And there's so many new, like, commercial companies doing space work now. I mean, it's just been an explosion Mm -hmm. in the past few years of of commercial space. And um, most of them are going to need batteries. Probably all of them will need batteries. You know, it's no longer just NASA, which the one thing that's fun about competing commercial companies is they all try to out-innovate each other. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, uh, you know, electric power systems is also in the conversation with this, it's just a big sign that, well, electric power systems must know what they're doing, both aerospace and also in space yeah. uh, because of people like you. And I know Joe James is also one of our directors uh, just a combination of people whose experience can drive this to happen to uh, you know, improve space travel and improve batteries to make it possible. So as we kind of wrap things up here, Celeste, what are kind of your final thoughts? You know, we've talked about uh, just about everything I can think of. I think so. So, you know, the floor is yours, but in specific to people who are still wondering about electric power systems mm-hmm. uh, or also just your career in space, uh, Let's get a summary here. Where do you think space travel is going to be, and and how do you think EPS could be a part of it? Oh, my goodness. It looks to me like there's an explosion in 
um, interest in going to the moon and beyond to Mars. Um, I don't know if any commercial companies are going to be doing Mars on their own. They might be doing it with NASA's help. I don't know. Certainly there's a lot of commercial organizations focusing on building space habitats, um, space stations, probably for wealthy people to go and have cool vacations. <laughs> on. Yeah, sure. yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I see a lot of, of commercial companies trying to expand presence uh, in both the Earth-Moon system and possibly even beyond. So it's very exciting. Well, that is exciting. And I think, I don't know if there's anybody more qualified on this Earth than you to help <laughs> execute that. They will have power to be able to start their engines and, and uh, <laughs> use their avionics. I think it's avionics in space, right? I, mm -hmm. I'd assume. But uh, great comments, Celeste. We appreciate uh, just kind of wrap things up here for our listeners. Uh, this has been Celeste, the systems engineer, uh, who went to a little school, I believe, called MIT on the East Coast. So if you don't know much about it, you can always check out MIT. <laughs> but that just showcases the talent and uh, the, the individuals that we here, have here at EPS. So go ahead and look at our link tree or go to our social media and just continue to listen to the Aviation Renaissance. This podcast was brought to you by Electric Power Systems. EPS is a leading provider of high-voltage, high-power, certifiable electric power systems for high-reliability applications. Its mission is to power transportation's electric renaissance by providing smarter, safer, more reliable, lighter, and certifiable batteries.